still in the first chapter, and there's just so much, so much here for us. And it's a blessing just to go through four or five, a couple verses at a time, and really, you know, take this in and, and with an aim to really rightly divide the scriptures and such depths of theology and doctrine really uh, in, in minimal amount of words. It's just one of those ways we just know the Holy Spirit moved upon men to pen the scriptures because of the depth that's here. And really, you look at, we'll, we'll spend a while here in these five verses today and we're just scratching the surface of it. I mean, God is so good. So as we started the epistle again, we've seen Peter bringing great encouragements to a greatly persecuted people. And then last week we saw him begin to bring great exhortations to these people that are being greatly persecuted. And he encouraged them to, go, to gird up the loins of their mind, to think right, to think on all the encouragements that have been brought, that, you know what, they have a living hope, that what they're going through is not in vain, that God's going to see them through and so forth. Talked about the glorious, you know, what salvation we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, how the prophets long to see the coming of Messiah. And Messiah has come and now they're partakers of that salvation. And so Peter's really encouraging them. Look at, gird up the loins of your mind. Think right. Think biblically. Think eternally because we're in a spiritual war. Remember, it means to be ready for combat. And our minds they come under a lot of attack. So we talked about that, girding up the loins of our mind, taking our thoughts captive to the Scripture. He also encouraged them to rest their hope fully on the grace of God at the coming of Jesus Christ. And yes, news update, Jesus Christ is coming soon. He said He was in the Scripture, and things haven't changed in that. The Lord is coming soon. He encouraged them to be obedient to God, not to be conformed to the former lust that they practiced in ignorance, but instead to be holy as God is holy. And we talked about the differences between holiness and legalism. There's a lot of confusion in that today when there shouldn't be. We're not called to be legalists, but we absolutely are called to holiness. Christ went to atone for our sins, not that we'd be a people in our freedom to go back to practicing those things that Christ died on the cross to forgive us from and give us victory over but to move forward in the Lord, to be a people striving for holiness. Not holier than thouness, not a self-righteousness where we'd kind of come up and look down on whoever's in front of us, but a holiness. And again, life's found there. Beauty's found there. Fulfillment is found there, walking with the Lord. Well, this morning, we're going to see Peter bringing reasons why we should, again, we talked about great encouragement, great exhortations, why we should greatly fear the Lord throughout our stay here on the earth. We're going to see him speaking to them and us about judgment. Again, we're going to see this morning that when we come to the Lord, we're forgiven of our sins. We're in right standing with God, but we're given an account by God. We become stewards of that which, again, belongs to God that he has entrusted to us. And we are going to give an account of what we did with God put on our plate and our time here on earth. And I think this is something that people know about, but they really don't take it to heart. Because if we really take this to heart, it's going to greatly affect the way that we are living. And it's my hope today that we take this to heart, this charge, 
as we'll see here, to conduct our time here, our stay here in fear. Not a trembling of abuse of God or, you know, what might happen next, but a fear of the Lord knowing we're going to give an account of our life. We'll also see again a charge to really live for the Lord because we've been redeemed out of our sin, not by silver and gold, but by this precious blood of the Lamb. It's no small matter. Our salvation is not, again, a small matter at all. It's huge. God Almighty shed His blood for us. And so again, in these few verses, we're going to cover salvation. We're going to talk a little bit about prayer, judgment, the fear of the Lord. Let's read through the text here together and uh, dive into this with, you know, laying some groundwork already. It says, and if you call on the Father, is that anyone in the room? If you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourself throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, excuse me, like silver or gold, from your aimless conduct received by the tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ. As a lamb without blemish and without spot, he indeed was ordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead, and gave him glory that your faith and hope are in God. Now this phrase, if you call on the Father... Look, it in context, it's like saying, if, you're, if you are an obedient Christian, if you're a believer, and I want to explain why that's the case, and they give an encouragement to be a people who call upon the Father. And I want in this again, share the gospel. It's so important that we're always preaching the gospel. We know that Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're sinners, y'all. We've all broken God's commandments. We've broken His laws. I hope no one disputes that today. We've desperately fallen short of His glory. We know the wages of our sin is death. Because of our sin against God, death came into the world, and man became subjected to what the Bible calls the second death, what Jesus describes as a place of torment a place called hell that is very 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 bad news this morning but the good news there in romans three twenty three, the wages of sin is death but praise god for but but the gift of god is eternal life in christ jesus our lord and then later in romans we're, we're told there in romans ten thirteen, whoever calls on the name of the lord will be saved that's the good news the bad news we are sinners we're under condemnation The good news is the Father sent His Son. He is a gift. He laid down His life for us. And whoever, we already read about partiality with judgment of God. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord, we save no partiality. It's individual saying, I am a sinner. I need to be saved. Jesus, save me and be the Lord of my life. I want to be a follower of Christ by faith. I'm putting my trust in you. We called upon Jesus. And we know Jesus again, is that gift sent by the Father, given by the Father to make the way of salvation for us. John three sixteen. 
for God, and in this case, that's referring to the Father. God, you could say the Father so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him, again, that word, whoever, no partiality with God, whoever believes in Him or trusts Him with their lives should not perish, but have everlasting life. We know that when we called upon the Lord, we read in Ephesians 1.13 that we were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And notice verse 14, who's the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession of the praise of His glory. And so we called upon Christ, we got saved, we received the Holy Spirit, and as we've been seeing here in 1 Peter, we've received an inheritance that's incorruptible, that's preserved for us in heaven. And listen, part of that inheritance also gives us access to the Father in heaven. And absolutely through Jesus and what He has done for us, who was sent by the Father, who has sealed us with the Holy Spirit, now has put us in a place where we can call upon the Father. As Jesus said Himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through Me. That's for salvation as well as for petition and praise to enter into fellowship with the Father. Romans, or excuse me, Hebrews 10 speaks of this, how we can come boldly to the throne of grace because Jesus, and we'll get into this more here in a minute, shed his blood for us. We're covered by his life. Again, our sins are forgiven. So now we can enter into the presence of God. Now we can call on the Father. And what's awesome is in Scripture, we see the Father, Holy Spirit, and the Son all being a part of our prayer life. We know that in Matthew 6, 9, the Lord told us to pray our Father in heaven. We know in Ephesians 6, Paul talks about praying in the Spirit or according to the Word of God as the Holy Spirit moved upon men and penned the Scriptures. And Jesus taught us to pray in His name. As we read there in John 16, 23, Most assuredly I say to you, Whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. And so listen, a mark of a Christian, a mark of someone with genuine faith isn't, I asked Jesus in my heart and then I went my own way. It's I asked Jesus, I called upon Jesus to save me and now I call upon the Father every single day. Again, and if you call on the Father, he's talking about believers here. He's also giving an exhortation to us to be a people who call upon the Father. Again, we need to know that we are commanded in the Scripture. It's God's will for us that we're a people who call upon the Father. That we are a people of prayer. I'll go to one of my go-to verses. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 17 through 18, I mean, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And if you've called on the Son, have you called on the Son for salvation? Can you say amen to that? Then you are in Christ Jesus. And now that you are in Christ Jesus, it is the will of God that we're a people that rejoice always, that we give thanks in everything because God works all things for good for those that love Him and are called according to His purpose and that we are a people who pray without ceasing, a pray who look to the Father 24-7. 
Does this mean I just go home and I go into a cave and I never come out? No, it means I go and I spend time with the Lord and throughout the day I'm in fellowship with God. Not in a weird way where, you know, that peculiar people that we're called even radiates more peculiarness because we can't interact proper with others. It's not that. It's that in my interaction with others, I'm seeking the Lord. And I'm recognizing that these around me that don't know Him need to come to know Him. And my Christian brothers and sisters around me need to be built up and encouraged and so forth. And so I'm living life as I'm walking with God and I'm bringing praises before Him and I'm bringing petitions before Him and situations before Him. And sometimes people say, man, I'm going through this. You know what? How do I handle this? And what I tell them, every time you think about that, pray about it. (laughs) I'm concerned about this lost person, my son, my daughter, my parents, whatever. Every time you think about them, first and foremost, pray for them i got this sickness this ailment this diagnosis every time you think about it first pray about it it's amazing what happens when you do that i'm getting ready to fly to israel and i'm nervous about getting a plane i've never flown over an ocean before every time you think about it pray about it pray about it lift it up to the lord because listen When we pray fervently, and part of fervent prayer is, again, I'm going to pray steadfastly, consistently. Guess what happens? Stuff happens. Stuff happens. The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And again, beyond all of that, as we call upon the Father, guess what? God's glorified. And that is our chief purpose, should be our chief aim to glorify God Matthew 6, 9 says, In this manner, therefore, pray our Father in heaven. And then notice what it says next. Hallowed be thy name. Or your name is holy. We praise you. We give you glory. We give you honor. We lift up your name. Let me tell you, in prayer, it's easy to put petition first. We want to be a people who put praise first. Because though we're called to cast all our cares upon the Lord... And when there are things heavy on your heart, you want to absolutely keep casting it upon the Lord. I would encourage you above that to give praise to your God. That when we call upon the Father, it starts with, hallowed be thy name. I praise you, God. I thank you. I thank you that you're on the throne, that you are God, that you are mighty. And I'll tell you, that's something, that does something wonderful, wonderful for us as well. It reminds us that our God's greater than all these little giants running around. God's greater than all of that. So again, if you call on the Father, let me ask you, do you call on the Father? Can you say amen to that? So he's speaking to us here. If you call on the Father, and notice what he says next, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourself throughout the time of your stay here in fear. Look at as believers who've called upon the Father, praise God we are forgiven. Praise God, our sins are covered by the shed blood of the Lamb. That He separated as far as they're separated as far as the East is from the West. And praise God, we have the assurance of heaven through the work of Jesus Christ. But we will be judged according to our work here on earth. We don't get saved just to go sit down in a Jesus lounge here over here and have our best life ever in a carnal sense. We get saved to serve God Almighty. 
We'll see in a minute. You get saved, and guess what happens? An account is set up for you. An account, a Jesus account, you can call it. What are you going to do with what Jesus has given to you? Because it all belongs to the Lord. And once we become members of the kingdom of heaven, we become adopted sons and daughters of God. We absolutely have an account that we're going to be accountable for. And you see this throughout the word of God. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 27, For the Son of Man will come in the glory of His Father with His angels, and then He will reward each one, notice, according to His works. He doesn't say, And everyone who's worked enough will be saved. He doesn't say that. We're saved through the work of the cross, through Jesus and Jesus alone. 100% our salvation comes through the work of the cross of Calvary. We never add to that. If we do even add an iota to it, that is a false gospel. It's Jesus and Jesus alone who saves us. But you better believe we are saved unto good works. And the Lord absolutely is coming back with His Father and angels. And He's going to bring rewards according to our works. What we did... Once we became followers of Jesus Christ. Notice 2 Corinthians 5 9. It says, Therefore we make it our aim. Take note of that. I'm going to come back to that phrase in a second, in a minute here. Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well pleasing to Him. Notice here, take this to heart. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. He's talking to believers here. When he says we make it our aim, he is talking to Christians because we already read and we'll see it in a minute. When we got saved, we got delivered from the aimless conduct that was inherited or passed down from the traditions of our fathers to become followers of Christ, that now our aim is not aimless, but our aim is to serve God Almighty. Where it says here, we'll appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That's different than the white throne judgment that non-believers will go before that we read about in Revelation at the end of the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. The judgment seat of, seat of Christ, this is the Bema seat, which was the word used for Olympians in that day when they would come up to receive their wreath or whatever reward they got for how they did in the event that they ran in. Again, they're already Olympians. Now the medals or the wreaths or whatever are being distributed. And absolutely in Christ, we are born again. Look at we have salvation in Jesus and Jesus alone, but we will appear before the Bema seat, the judgment seat of Jesus. Notice that each one may receive the things done in his body according to what he has done. And this is, again, th this is where we, we really want this to impact us, whether good or bad. And so there's an accountability based on what I did once I became a Christian. Where was my obedience? How did I live my life? What did I do with the call that God placed upon me? You see this throughout the word. Jesus says in Revelation twenty two twelve, And behold, I'm coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give everyone according to his works. We need to understand in the timeline of things and in the heart and mind of God, judgment starts not with the world, but judgment starts in the house of God. 
Notice 1 Peter, and we'll get into this, Lord willing, down the road. 1 Peter 4, 17. For the time has come for judgment to begin in the house of God. But if a first begins, uh, but if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? So it starts with us. We get saved, and then God says there's going to be a judgment. So again, some people say, well, I'm saved, so how will I be judged? Praise God, we're saved from hell. Praise God, we are saved from damnation. But we will be judged for what we did or did not do for heaven, for the kingdom of heaven. We're saved from hell, but we're going to be judged based on what we did or did not do for the kingdom of heaven. In fact, listen, we come to the Lord, we get a greater responsibility. And as people that now have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, there's a greater accountability. Because, again... Our eyes have been opened. We know the Lord. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the Word of God. We have an understanding we're going to give an account for these things. There's so many people that are lost out there. Yes, there's a conviction of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And oftentimes they'll begin to harden their heart to that and lose sight of that and blind their eyes to it. It's almost like zombies walking around out there. That's not us in this place. We're alive in Jesus. We got a pulse. Can you feel your pulse this morning? Your Holy Ghost pulse. Hopefully you got, you know, you, you, your Holy Ghost pulse. Hopefully you have that. So we are going to be judged. Look at, I want to go to Matthew 25 there in your notes. If you want to turn there in your Bibles. Do not take this teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ lightly. I think oftentimes we take this lightly. And everyone just wants to focus in on, well done, thy good and faithful servant. And they think, well, look at, I'm going to die. I'm, I come to Christ, and, and one day I'm going to die. And in this gap in the middle, it doesn't matter what I do because I've called upon the Lord and I'm saved. And I, I can go live however I want. And when I show up there at the pearly gates, you know what? Peter will see that I'm there in the book, you know, you know all the jokes and whatnot. And then God will say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. You sure he's going to say that? Are we that confident? Again, I think it's really put out there that idea that it doesn't matter if you call it on the Lord. You're going to hear, well done, thy good and faithful servant. I hear it all the time. Rarely do I hear anyone say, man, I'm, I'm sweating. I'm worried that when we stand before the Lord, he's going to say, you're a wicked and lazy servant. And Jesus talks about this. And we need to take it to heart. Notice Matthew 25, 14. It's a parable. And Jesus says, for the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. I want to stop right there because so many times I've preached on this. I've had someone come up to me and saying, you know what? This isn't talking about Christians, the wicked and lazy servant. That's a non-believer. You're wrong. This is about the kingdom of heaven. Non-believers are not part of the kingdom of heaven. You don't become part of the kingdom of heaven until you call upon Christ. Those outside of Jesus are not only not servants of the Lord, we know they're not even sons and daughters of God. They're children of wrath. He is talking about believers here, period. We study the Bible in context. We are the servants of God, and He has delivered His goods to us. Everything you got in your life belongs to the Lord. You are a steward of it. He says, And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and another one. Notice, each according to his own ability. We'll come back to that here in a minute. 
And immediately he went on his journey. Lord ascended to heaven. And he who had received five talents went and traded them and made another five talents. He was about his master's business. Likewise, the one who had gained two, gained two more also. And who had received one went and dug it in the ground and hid his Lord's money. And then notice, take this to heart. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came. And notice here, settled accounts with them. You get saved, you get an account. It's like people, you know, I know people still do this. You know, your baby's born, and we're going to set up a college fund for them. We're going to set a little account up for them. Kind of similar, but not the same. We get an account. You know what? The Lord says, I'm going to set up an account for them. And then it's, are we going to deposit in that account? Or are we going to deposit somewhere else? How are we going to live our life? Now, notice verse 20. So, when he had re- so, so he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. And his Lord said to him, notice, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful with a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter to the joy of your Lord. So he literally has something tangible. Here's the five. Here's five more. And because of that, he said, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Again, I'll make you a ruler over many things. How we live our life here will very much affect eternity. Now, there's some mystery in these things. I, I know there will be no sorrow nor, te- nor, nor, nor tears in heaven. I know there won't be pride. I know there won't be people saying, I'm a 10-talent guy. What are you? There's, there's not going to be that. That's not going to be there. But there's going to be a joy found for those individuals that say, I got something to show, Lord. I got something in my account. And we read in Revelation about these elders that have crowns. And we know the Bible talks about crowns coming in our service of the Lord. And we read they're going to take those crowns and again, not strut around, but they're going to put them at the feet of the Lord to worship. And how about you? But I think one of the greatest joys we find is in worshiping God. And he says, enter into the joy of your Lord. Now, verse 22, it says, He who had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents besides them. How exciting to say, Lord, here's two more talents that I gained, you know? And the Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'll make you a ruler over many things. Enter to the joy of your Lord. So they were rewarded for doing good. Again, they were part of their master's house. They were servants of the master. The master came back. They were rewarded for doing good, for using the master's good in a manner that gained more talents to, again, the benefit of the master. And then verse 24. Boy, things change a bit. That's where a lot of people just want to get this next part. We're going to take that part out of the Bible. We don't like this next part. But notice what it says here. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man. Reaping where you have not sown, gathering with you not scattered seed. I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Now, I think part of the problem the steward has is that, yes, God does hold us to be accountable. But I just heard this man, he, he says, you're a hard man. But this man who represents the Lord in the parable just blessed, you know, at these that gained five more talents. Well done, good and faithful servant. Here's, you know, enter the joy, Lord. Does that sound like a hard man? Yes, they're being judged, but, but, 
but we need to balance love and judgment god absolutely this is someone that does not know his lord well because the walk with the lord is to know that the lord loves you when you walk with them you know that so it says i was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground look how what is yours but his lord answered and said to him again this is about the kingdom of heaven you wicked and lazy servant you knew that I reap where I've not sown and gather where I've not scattered seed. So you ought to deposit my money with the bankers and at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. And then notice how the Lord distributes wealth. Take that talent from him and give it to him who has 10 talents. Doesn't say, I got 10. You know what? Yeah, you earned those, but we need to whittle you down to eight because lazy over here needs a couple more. Doesn't say that. And look at, we are not called to be selfish with what we have whatsoever. But this man was rebuked for doing bad. This is about the kingdom of heaven. For everyone who has, more will be given. And who has an abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will not be taken away. Or what he has will be taken away. And listen, they both had opportunity to either serve God or not. And that's really what it comes down to. We talk about opportunities and all this in the world. Here's the thing. Is Jesus your Lord? Then you got opportunity to serve Him, to honor Him, to praise Him, to live for Him, no matter what your circumstances or where you reside or what's going on in your life. There's so much focus on the natural and things that are passing and so forth and what I have and what they have materially we are here to serve God, and when you get saved, God has you where you are and will supply all your needs according to His riches and glory to serve Him, to honor Him, to impact the world around you wherever you live for the Lord Jesus Christ. So verse 29, For everyone who has more will be given, and he who has abundance, but he who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And then notice verse 30, cast the unprofitable servant into the utter darkness. There'll be weeping and the gnashing of teeth. And this is where people say, okay, well, that's not a believer. No, this is about the kingdom of heaven. Now, I, I don't know exactly what that is, but I do know this, the great joy is found worshiping the Lord. And what a great joy. Even if you just got a little crown, you can take off the side of your head and put it at the Lord's feet. But imagine getting up there at the Bema Seat Judgment. You were wicked. You were lazy. You, you, you never did anything. Yes, you're saved through what I've done for you. And Paul goes into this in Corinthians, how you know our, our, a fire will come and the wood, hay, and stubble will be burned away. And the wood, hay, and stubble is aimless conduct and vain living. And if gold, silver, and precious stones get through the fire, that's what lasts. And you know those are things that, that our crowns are made out of. Could you imagine the sorrow, though, of knowing my God died for me? And again, the reality of that will be so much clearer than it ever has been before. And I just live my life about aimless conduct. Now, again, he's going to wipe away every tear. Praise God. And praise God, there's not going to be this, you know, pride in heaven of, oh, man, that guy really wasted his life. I'm going to give that guy a hard time for all of eternity. You know, it's, there's not going to be that there. But all at the same time, Again, the Lord's telling us this parable that there, there is going to be some realization or knowledge. I mean, what a frightening thought. And this is why Peter's talking about the fear of God walking around eternity without a crown to put at the Lord's feet. Oh, Lord, let us grasp this and get hold of this. So if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, 
conduct yourself throughout the time of your stay here in fear. Now notice, he judges without partiality. We need to take this to heart. Because there's a lot of people that think they have a special watered-down judgment based on whatever. Well, you know what, I had a tough childhood, so you know what, my judgment's not going to be the same. Y'all, welcome to the world. Everyone's got a little roughness that they go through in childhood. Some more than others. But I run into some folks, they got an excuse for everything. I've had to tell people over the years different times, Bro, there is not a clause with your name in it in the Bible that gets you out of all of this. And as long as you hold on to this, you're taking away from yourself. You're taking away from what God has for you. Now, He will judge us based on our ability or the talents that we've been given. One, 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 two, one, five. And here's the thing. If you only have a little, you only have a small talent, then listen, go use it for the Lord and expect big rewards. I read about a widow. The Lord talks about her. She gave two mites. And the Lord says she's given more than all that wealth that was poured in there because she gave out of her livelihood. But if you have much, much wealth, much talents, many spiritual gifts, some people, they're just like a, they're just like a walking spiritual gift machine. You better not bask in that to your glory, but you'd, have, you'd better get to work even more. Looking for five talents to produce five more talents. That guy had to go to work. Luke 12, 48, the Lord says, For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. To whom much has been committed of him, they will ask more of. And if you got talents, you better get to work with them. I said, well, I I tried and I got burned out. Burned out is found nowhere in the scriptures. You know what's found? Getting filled up. Getting renewed, waiting upon the Lord. Also notice in here, we are called to work. We are called to be kingdom workers. The word work there means to labor, to toil. It means to toil by the sweat of your brow. A lot of people say, well, I'll serve God if it's convenient. You know, if I can work things out, you know, if it, it just, if it fits in my schedule just right, then I'll, you know, serve the Lord. We're called to work. We are called to toil. We are called to labor. We've been saved to labor to work. Ephesians 2 8, again, we rejoice, for by grace you have been saved through faith, not of your works, or not of yourself. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Praise God. But then notice verse 10, it speaks to this whole passage. For we, as, we are as workmanship created in Christ Jesus, notice, for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So conduct yourself throughout your time, throughout your stay here in fear. Look it. We conduct ourselves knowing we called on him. Praise God, we personally know him, but we're going to get personally judged by him for our work. And that should put a fear of God in us. Look at if you get hired to. To, to do a job, you get hired, you got an employer, you're expected to work. I, I know that's a, that is a uh, revelation to some people. You are expected to work, and if you don't work, you should have a fear of getting fired, period. In fact, if you get hired somewhere and you don't have a, a fear of getting fired, it's just Joe Casual, whatever, I'd even question you even got a real job. There should be an expectation that you have to 
work. I know that I'm a boss. I've employed many people over the years. And people know I tell them from day one, if you work here, you are expected to work. And if you don't, I'll warn you. I'll talk to you. I'll try to help you. But if it continues, I will fire you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Get out. And I've had to do it more than once. These people are tithing their money and you want to sit around and squander it? You're fired. Well, that's not very Christ-like. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Well, you know, some bad things can be said about you. I don't care. I give an account to God. We are expected to work. And if you got a job, there should be a fear in you. I got to work or I might get fired. There also should be an understanding. If I work hard, I'm going to get a promotion. I'm going I'm, I'm, I'm to get a raise and so forth. Look at this, this fear he's talking about. It's not talking about a fear of life. Oh, what might happen next? Oh, you know what? Uh, the, the Global Economic Forum, whatever they call it. Oh, I, I can't fear those guys. Or fear of God abusing us? No. 2 Timothy 1.7, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sound mind to go and serve God. But this is a fear of the accountability that we're going to be held to. A fear of the judgment of God that drives me to live for God and apart from evil. Notice Proverbs 16, 6. By the fear of the Lord, one departs from evil. I get so frustrated. I run into guys, they're struggling with pornography. It's just an issue for so many men. And again, I don't take light of that. I don't say that to try to beat up guys or shame guys or whatever. It's a real struggle. But there's, there's this idea out there that, you know, the way you overcome that gets you an accountability part, partner. You overcome it, and everything will work out. And usually it's just a couple of guys, you know, comforting each other in their failures. Now, there isn't a place for accountability, but you want to overcome that, you know what you need? You better get the fear of God deep down in your heart, knowing you're going to give an account before God Almighty. That's how you overcome those things. You get a fear of God recognizing that as I participate in this, I'm bringing evil into my home and it's going to affect my wife. It's going to affect my children. It's going to affect my witness. It is destroying me. It's my enemy and I got to fight against it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The fear of God leads us to depart from evil. And let me tell you, the fear of God is so good. Oh, the fear of God. Let's not talk about that. Let's just talk about Jesus loves me. He does love you and he wants to bless you. And let me tell you, when you walk in the fear of God, the blessings flow abundantly. Proverbs 14, 26. In the fear of the Lord, there's a strong confidence. And his children will have a place of refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to turn one away from the snares of death. Lord, put the fear of God in us today concerning these things, that we'd be turned away from aimless, vain living, things that come to steal, kill, and destroy. Proverbs 19, 23, the fear of the Lord leads to life, and he who has it will abide in satisfaction. Is that not glorious? I don't have to sing. I can't get no satisfaction. You want satisfaction? Start fearing God, man. And notice as well, he will not be visited with evil. Sin does not satisfy. Hear this this morning. It will always, sin always opens the door for evil visitors. Absolutely. Devils, demons, the work of the flesh. 
That should put a fear of God in our hearts. That should put a fear of God in every man's heart in this room that I need to leave my family with the fear of God. It's time to button this place up through me getting some fear in God and calling upon God and saying enough of this stuff. I'm going to exercise some self-control through the power of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. Enough is enough. And listen, knowing all this should affect our conduct radically. Notice what he says here. Um, without partiality, according to each one's work, conduct yourself throughout the time of your stay here in fear. Conduct yourself. This should affect our conduct. Conduct here, or conduct, it means your conversation. What you busy yourself with, your behavior, or how you live. What do you busy yourself with? What do you talk about? What is your life about? Again, and notice here, we're going to give an account for ourselves. Your stay, not your all stay. You know, the group, your stay. Conduct your stay here in fear. Your conduct, yours and yours alone that you'll give an account for, you need to live it out with a fear of God. It's, it's a horrible thing that's happened today. People have a tendency to associate themselves and whatever group or movement they think is happening somewhere around, somewhere out there, they think because they're a follower online or whatever, I'm part of this group. Now listen, you can be part of a group. We're here together as a church, working together as a group for the glory of God. And it's awesome, is it not? Functioning as the body of Christ. But so many people, again, they just want to identify with another group or another thing going on. And they think they, because they put a Facebook post up about something, it means they're going to share in the rewards. That ain't how it's going to work. Galatians 6.4, but let each one examine his own work. Then he'll have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another, for each one shall bear his own load. One talent guy you know, maybe it's not recorded. Hey, but I, I follow five talent guy online, so don't I get a little bit of his reward? No, you don't. I was there when he went from five to seven talents. I saw that happen. I put it on my Twitter feed. My son made a TikTok video about it. Where's my reward? You need to get up and serve the Lord yourself. So many focus on what's going on over there. What's happening over there? What are they doing here? What are you doing right where you are at? <laughs> That's the question that we should ask. Ain't going to be no group called up. We're going to stand up before him as individuals. And know this as well. You don't get a lesser judgment based on others' failures as an excuse for our laziness or neglect of what God has called us to do. Romans 14, 12, each of us shall give an account of himself before God. It can't see, but Lord, I was hurt. Lord, I, I got backstabbed. That's the reason why I didn't go to church for 25 years or never do a lick for anyone else. I went there and I heard someone talking bad about me. Therefore, I deserve a reward just for that. No, you don't. Your Savior was crucified upon the cross and he said, take up your cross and follow me. That's a lesson in there. There's gonna be times when I get crucified. There are times I get backstabbed. 
And I'll tell you, there is an availability for a great reward in this. I forgive you. Deposit going into that account. I forgive you. Lord, get this bitterness out of me. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Versus, how dare you do that to me? How dare you backstab me, Lord? And that's wickedness. I died on the cross for you and you won't forgive someone? I could go on and on about that, all that, but I'm not going to. Notice as well throughout your stay here on earth. Throughout your stay, again, let's just get it. Throughout the time of your stay here on earth. So throughout the whole time of our short stay here on earth. It's a short stay. It really is. Lord willing, next Sunday night, me and 60 other people are going to Israel for 10 days. And Lord willing, we'll come back. And guess what? It will have been a short stay. And I was thinking about that. Thinking about our life here on earth compared to eternity. It's like a 10-day trip. It's short. We're like in a waiting room for all of eternity that's set before us. We don't want to be neglecting what God has called us to do. Verse 18, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by the tradition of your fathers. So knowing, meaning that you should know this, you should always be knowing this. It's not a knowing we tuck away, but it's a knowing that's always before us. I wasn't redeemed with gold and silver from aimless conduct, but we'll see in a minute, but with the precious shed blood of the lamb, that's not a small thing. To be redeemed, it means to be purchased out of slavery, never to be auctioned off again. We've been purchased out of sin, death, Satan, and hell's grips. Notice, from our aimless conduct. Now, as we've read earlier, it's our aim to serve God. That's not aimless. To say, I'm gonna, my aim is to serve God. Yes, he's put me here and here. I'm involved in this and so forth. And in these things, I want to serve God in these things. Versus aimless conduct of just stacking stuff up and moving stuff around and then you die. Because when you really start thinking about it, that's the bulk of life. Psalm 39, 6, surely every man walks about like a shadow. Notice, it's a, it's a comedy. Surely they busy themselves in vain. He heaps up riches and does not know who will gather them. Solomon wrestled with this. You know, through Ecclesiastes. And he finally concludes, look at you better remember your creator before you die. Because this is all vanity. And then Ecclesiastes 12, 13, he says, let's hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Again, he doesn't say part of the matter. This is the conclusion of everything. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. And what's the greatest commandment? Call upon the Lord and get saved. If you don't start there, it don't matter. You got to get born again. Again, our redemption does not come from gold or silver that's corrupted or will get burned. And there's people, they live everything's about money and gold and how much we can stack and how much we can steal and how much we can pile up and so forth. But listen, all the money in the world can't save one soul. You know why? One soul is of more value to God than all the money in the world. All this money, all of it's going to burn. It's corrupted. And this is why Jesus said, What's it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses a soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Notice verse 19. We haven't been, been redeemed by gold and silver, 
but the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. So again, we're to know this. We're to know this. We're to be knowing this. We don't tuck this away. We keep this before us. I'm going to be judged and I was saved by the shed blood of the lamb. My salvation is of the greatest value. It's not a small matter that my name's written in that book. It's not a small thing that that I can call on the Father. It's not a small thing that I have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The Father sent His Son, and the Son willingly came to be a substitution for my sin. 1 Peter 2, 24, Who Himself bore our sins in His own body on the tree, that we, having died to sin, might live for righteousness. By By His stripes we are healed. We're healed from the wages of our sin death praise god he bore my sins on his body on a tree he became a curse for me he lived a sinless blemish-free spotless life tempted in every way yet he did not sin and he shed his blood as he said there in matthew 20 27 he gave his life to be a ransom for many we were being held hostage and the lord paid the price to get us free out of those grips he says i'm going to pay the ransom cost i'm going to shed my blood and that's the only thing that could save us was a sinless life notice colossians 113 he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood it's no small matter 1 Corinthians 6.20 You were bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are, notice here, they're God's. I got an account, it all belongs to God. I want to glorify God with my body, with my life. And then verse 20, it says, He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times. This goes back to what we looked at a few weeks ago. The prophets long for the coming of the Lord. And now he even builds on this more. He says, before the world was ever created, the Lord was foreordained to come and die on the cross and shed his blood for us. You might say, well, when, when did God think of that? When did God come up with that? For all eternity. For all eternity. And look at this is mind-blowing stuff. You go home and trip out and think about this. He has no beginning, he has no end, and he is, he is eternal. And for all eternity, he knew he would create man. Yes, he knew he would give man a free will and man would sin. And you say, why in the world would he do that? So he could show his love for mankind in coming into this world, taking on human flesh, being nailed to the cross, having been spit in his face, Satan rejoiced, the Father pouring out the wrath through us upon himself, being resurrected from the dead so we can call on him and have a real love relationship with God Almighty. Look at it and think about this. Foreordained since the foundation of the world, but manifest in these last times. Notice, take this to heart for you. Think about all eternity and we happen to be here in this time and Christ has come and done, did what he for, was foreordained to do. And this is where I know like people get into, well, you know, like, you know, 
But for God, it's all unfolding at the same time. You know, they get all these quantum physics stuff and all this stuff and the timeline and here and there and so forth. All I know is I'm here right now. And I know this, he was foreordained and he did what he said he was going to do. He shed his blood to save us. It's so much, it makes all this other stuff just look silly and nonsense. It's like aimless. Now we can get an aim in those things. It's aimless for me to go to work on Monday. No, it is. It's not. You need to go there and make it your aim to glorify God in that job. Pray for those people around you in that job. Finally, verse 21 and this wraps us up kind of around what we started with. Who through, through, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope are in God. So again, the Father sent the Son, and through faith in the Son, we come to have relationship with the Father who raised the Son from the dead to defeat death and gave glory to the Son. You can read about this in Philippians 2. He gave Him a name above all names, that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, Jesus Christ is Lord and through Him. And again, remember, there's this great persecution that you have faith and hope in God. You have saving faith that produces a real hope in God Almighty. Let's stand up and close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we bless and praise you. We glorify and honor you, God. We thank you that you are so good to us. I hope and pray, Lord, everyone in this room's called upon Jesus. They've heard bad news today, horrific news. News that maybe I, I would hope if they don't know you made their hearts sink to the bottom of their feet. But Lord, they've heard the good news. The good news of what you've done for them. The sinless life you've lived for them. You going to the cross for them. You taking the wrath through them upon yourself. You defeating those things in your resurrection. And they've heard the good news that whoever calls on your name will be saved. I would hope that there's no one in this room that hasn't called upon the Lord. And if that's you, you need to call upon the Lord and get saved. Our time here is short. Oh Lord, help us to take these things to heart. Help us to conduct ourselves with a fear of God. Lord, let us not be about aimless conduct, but about the business of the Lord. Again, even knowing satisfaction is found there. We don't get robbed of a lick. We all the more abound in blessings in that. We praise you. We thank you. Let's worship God as we close here.
This gift of love and righteousness Scorned by the ones he came to save Till on their crosses Jesus died The wrath of God was satisfied For every sin on him was laid Here in the death of Christ I God is good. Amen. Amen. Guys, the food's been prayed for out there. Go and enjoy that and fellowship. And I pray you have a wonderful day in the Lord Jesus Christ. God bless you.